Hello and good afternoon. Welcome to the last Facebook study of the year. If you have been following along throughout this year, well done. We have been going through Eflagard Smith's The Daily Bible in Chronological Order, the very best daily Bible reading tool that I have found. And uh, if you have been with us this year in 2022, good job. Good job. If you have just popped in and out some or maybe even just done the Facebook studies, good job to you as well. Uh, if you're looking for a daily Bible reading uh, uh, a task in 2023, I recommend it. Uh, you can get it at a lot of bookstores, especially this time of year, but you can also, of course, order it at christianbook.com or uh, you can order it through Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and the other online sites. Uh, most uh, religious bookstores will likely have a few copies of that this time of year if you want to check into Mardell's or uh, Lifeway or some of the others, but you can certainly get it online uh, as well. And sometimes you can get it at some of the more uh, general bookstores such as Barnes and & Noble and others. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. And we have gone through it this year, looking at a couple of days each week of summary of that week's reading. And today we find ourselves, guess where? In the very last book of the Bible, likely the last book written, and it is the book of Revelation. But before we get into this uh, very inspiring, <laughs> quote unquote, uh, study, one stop study of the book of Revelation, I do want to remind you that next week we'll start 2023, starting on Sunday, and we'll also start our new Facebook uh, studies. We'll do it at the same times, Tuesdays and Thursdays, at 3 p.m. right here on my Facebook page. They're shared later to our uh, West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook page and West Irwin Live Facebook page, which also, also shows our worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 and also on our website, westirwin.com. That's Irwin spelled E-R-W-I-N, westirwin.com. And uh, you click on that. That's our website. You uh, go up to the top and uh, get on the tab that says connect and click on the live streaming page. Scroll down a little bit and you'll see video archives. That's where you can watch our services live on Sunday mornings at 10 also. And the archives, the video archives, has our previous services, a lot of my previous sermons, and these Facebook studies. Wonderful friends like Terry Frick uh, helped me out by putting those on there, and I appreciate his work and all the guys that do our IT stuff, uh, John Shaw, Chris Reynolds, uh, Jeff Steifer. Uh, there's just a whole slew of them that it takes to keep Bill up to date, and I appreciate all of them and all the great work. Uh, that they do. Uh, next year and next week, our studies will not be going through a particular book of the Bible, or as we did this year, the whole Bible, but they're going to be working through a couple of daily devotional books. There are a lot of good ones out there, uh, and the daily Bible is a good one. You read about three chapters of the Bible a day, whatever version you use, and uh, you'll read through the Bible in a year. That's basically about right. Some may be a little bit more than others because the chapters have different lengths. But about three to four chapters a day, and you'll read through the Bible in a year. Uh, that's a great, great task, a great thing to do. Um, and, uh, but there are a lot of other good devotional books out there. Sarah Young's Jesus Calling, one of the most popular. I've read through that a few times over the last several years. 
Um, Tony Dungy's book, uh, The Uncommon Life Daily Challenge, is a great study. I've used it over the last few years and several times before that. It's a wonderful study by a very godly man. And um, but we're going to be using two uh, next, starting next week on Tuesdays. We'll be looking at Oswald Chambers' classic, My Utmost for His Highest. And then on Thursdays, we'll be looking at one that I've never read before, and it's by a great preacher and teacher of preachers, author Timothy Keller and his wife Kathy, The Songs of Jesus, A Year of Daily Devotions in the Psalms. You know that one of my favorite books of the Bible is the Psalms. So I'm really looking forward to reading through that one. They're very short, everyday readings, and uh, you don't have to get those books on Kindle or uh, by print, however you do that. You don't have to get them to keep up with us, just like uh, this year. But if you want to get those, and that's, I certainly encourage you to do something, getting your head into the Bible every day, uh, either by reading specifically from a plan or by doing a daily devotion or something. Uh, these will be, I'm going to do that. I'm not sure exactly how that's going to work, but on Tuesdays, we'll do the classic, My Utmost for His Highest, and then on Thursdays, the Timothy and Kathy Keller book on Jesus and the Psalms. So my, I anticipate that what I will do is just pick a day's reading from each of those uh, during that week and, and use it on that particular day and talk through that I always hesitate to say this, but my thinking is next year the uh, devotionals will be a little bit shorter, my Facebook lessons, because we won't be covering, trying to cover so much ground. Joyce will tell you every time I say that at the beginning of a sermon, I don't. It, the sermon's probably not going to be as long today. It usually ends up being one of my longest ones. So sorry about that. I've already jinxed it, but we'll see how that works. It'll be a new experience for me and for you, I hope, and I hope it's profitable for all of us. So I'm really looking forward to that. That starts on Tuesday, uh, January the 3rd of 2023. And this Sunday is the first day of the year, New Year's Day. I hope you're planning on being in the worship assembly somewhere. If you're able to physically, I hope that you're uh, able to be there physically. That's a great New Year's resolution. Online is wonderful. And I I just talked to a wonderful, dear, uh, uh, such an inspiring person, Jane Jones, today. She came by and she faithfully watches online because she just has trouble getting out. And I get that. I get that. There are many times and many others that aren't able to get out. And I, I'm so glad that we have that option these days. But if you are able to get out and if you can, I encourage you, starting January 1st, this coming Sunday, to be in the worship assembly, those who can't because of physical reasons, uh, their hearts just break and they have tears in their eyes as they say how much they long to be in the worship assembly physically, but are so thankful to be able to connect with us online. If that's your situation, then God bless you. But if your situation is you just need to get up a little bit earlier, you need to get back in the swing, back in the routine, here's your New Year's resolution be in the worship assembly in person starting this Sunday. I hope and pray that you're able to do that. Uh, today, we're going to go through the book of Revelation. This is the last study in this series on the Daily Bible in chronological order. Again, Revelation, the last book of the Bible physically, also the last book of the Bible, likely the last one written. Uh, shortly before John's death, he is on the Isle of pa on the island of Patmos, and he's there in exile, and uh, the emperor has, has caused him to be there, but has not put him to death. Probably the last living apostle 
sometime in the AD 90s or the C 90s CE, current era, whichever way you want to do that. But as he does, it's, it's just an incredible, incredible study. And yes, we're, gonna, we're not going to be able to do everything on this, so a lot of it's going to be summary. And I think the key to studying the book of Revelation is to figure out uh, what kind of literature it is and what the, the main message is. The main message to me, there's a two-word commentary that's my favorite commentary on the book of Revelation. Simply said, we win. And we win because Jesus has won. And I think that's the best description of the book of Revelation. We win. So a few things about it at the very beginning, and then we'll get into chapter 2 in this glorious vision of Jesus Christ. Uh, it is a book of victory. I love the song Victory in Jesus with the book of Revelation. I think that's exactly the point. And there's a sense of urgency in Revelation. It, there, it talks several times. It mentions that this is about things that are soon to take place. And I think that's significant. That doesn't mean that's the only time in human history that they will take place. And that's something that we'll talk about in a moment. But the time is near. Uh, the time is short. These are things that are soon to come to pass. We read that several times in the book. And so there is this sense of urgency. And I think that means that there's an application that is specific for the people that are that are hearing this book read. Um, it is about things soon to take place, and it is written in the in a specific literary type uh, genre of apocalyptic. What is apocalyptic? Well, apocalyptic, I'll say more about it in a moment. But basically, apocalyptic stems out of intense persecution. It's very difficult. There's a lot of symbolism, and things that you read should probably be taken figuratively unless there's good reason for it uh, to be taken literally. Usually when you read the Bible, it's the other way around. But you have to respect the kind of literature you're reading. Uh, you don't read a book like the Psalms, for example, the way you would read Leviticus. Uh, one is devotional literature. One is uh, a legal law. You wouldn't read the book of Romans the way you would read the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a, is a history. It's a narrative of the first 30 years or so of the church's existence. Romans is a great treatise. It's an epistle. And that's a different kind of, of, uh, of uh, genre. And, and apocalyptic is, is very, very different. Uh, so let's keep that in mind as well. Uh, it tells, the book of Revelation tells of severe persecution coming under the Roman authorities against the faithful. Um, just like the book of Hebrews and the book of First Peter, it is written to individuals, also First and Second Thessalonians, written to individuals that are suffering persecution, and, and it's at times intense. And the book of Revelation especially deals with that. I think it speaks of the ultimate uh, destruction of the oppressors of the first century, and that's specifically um, the Roman Empire. Uh, and it speaks, it applies specifically to that, but that doesn't mean that's the only uh, application. Again, this, the message is victory in Jesus, the victory of Christ, uh, conquering uh, over the, um, the work of Satan. And again, I do think that the story and the storyline of Revelation is repeated throughout human history. Maybe not every generation, but most every generation and at least every few. You'll find different characters, different political parties, different persecutors, different oppressed groups. 
but it happens every generation. It happens all the time throughout human history. There are people who try to assume power and we find them, uh, we find some who are very good at that and, and have a great sway over much of the world uh, several times in human history, perhaps not every generation, uh, but, but often. And so I think we need to remember that as we read the book of Revelation, that this is something that has a direct application to the people that John was sending it to at the end of the first century. But it also has application to all of us, every generation of Christians who are suffering and who are needing that great reminder, we win because Jesus has won. And, uh, and so that's where we go. Uh, we start in chapter one. Uh, the revelation of from Jesus Christ, uh, the book, this, the word revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypse. We get that word apocalyptic or apocalypse. That's a transliteration uh, of that word, the revelation, something that is being revealed. Um, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Again, there's a sense of urgency here. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Well, you skip down a little ways, and, and John says in verse 9 that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day on the island of Patmos in exile when he heard a loud voice like a trumpet. Uh, telling him to write this message down and send it to seven specific churches, the, the seven churches of Asia, we call them, and we'll read about them and the letter that Jesus has for each of them in chapters two and three. But when he, uh, he turns around, he sees this majestic, incredible, glorious vision of Jesus, the Son of God. And then the Lord says in verse 17, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Uh, it's a glorious vision that John has, and Jesus has a message for the churches that he specifically mentions, but it's really a message for the churches uh, always. Uh, interestingly enough, the book of Revelation has had uh, quite a reputation, as you know. Uh, Jerome, writing just a few hundred years perhaps after Christ, the Apocalypse of John uh, has as many secrets as words. I am saying less than the book deserves. It is beyond all praise. For multiple meanings lie behind, uh, lie hidden in each sing single word. That's a great description. Another man who has written uh, on Revelation, G.B. Caird, says, No other book has aroused such equally passionate love and hatred. You know, it's kind of like the Dallas Cowboys. You either love them or you hate them. And I think the book of Revelation is that way. Some people say, no, 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 I don't want any part of Revelation. And yet Revelation is a wonderful book uh, to go through. And yes, you realize there's a lot of symbolism there that may be at times confusing. But the ultimate message is we win. And the ultimate message is it's good over evil. It's Christ over Satan. It's the lamb over the dragon. And we read that uh, throughout uh, Richard Rogers has written to present and maintain the incentive to be faithful unto death 
is the purpose of Revelation. It's accomplished by presenting the ultimate triumph of the church, the great multitude, the martyrs that live, the eternal city at the end. And then uh, it also is accomplished by presenting the ultimate defeat of anti-Christian world forces, uh, the ultimate defeat of Satan, the dragon, and he's specifically named as the dragon. Um, uh, Brother Stafford North wrote, the revelation is a demonstration of the power of Christ to triumph over evil, and I get that. One of my favorite um, commentaries, uh, Rubel Shelley, years and years ago, The Lamb and His Enemies wrote that book on Revelation, a very short booklet. It's out of print, but boy, if you can get a hold of it, it's very helpful. Uh, the Lamb and His Enemies uh, in uh, by Rubel Shelley, and, uh, and a book by Eugene Peterson called Reverse Thunder. Eugene Peterson writes on the Revelation from the perspective of worship. He sees it as a book of worship, and that is an, he has some incredible paragraphs in that book, Reversed uh, Thunder. Uh, some things about Revelation. Again, it's written in the apocalyptic style. There's a lot of symbolism. Uh, Leon Morris has written a, a years ago a little short paperback booklet on <clears throat> book on uh, a apocalyptic kind of literature. He named it aptly apocalyptic. <laughs> and there are several things that he lists as characteristics of apocalyptic literature. One is there are lots of visions, revelations. Uh, another symbolism is seen throughout. Another, the importance of numbers, and we read that throughout Revelation. All the numbers, every time you read a number, you need to remember that's a symbolic number. Seven is that number of completeness and of heaven. Six, as in 666, is a number that falls short of that number seven. Three is a number that signifies unity and, um, and completeness, in, um, and we read all of those numbers in a Revelation and more. Uh, there's a lot of pessimism, and yet at the same time, um, a, a lot of, about the triumph of God, of good over evil. Dualism is there, good versus evil, light versus dark. In this case, the lamb versus the dragon, uh, God versus Satan, and God wins. And so even, but there is that, that pessimism that says, yes, God ultimately wins, but that doesn't mean that Satan doesn't have his day, and he does. And, and he's, he's having it as the revelation is being given. Remember, John is in exile. <laughs> it's not like he's got his freedom and health and everything going great. He's suffering. The people he's writing to are suffering, and that suffering is going to continue. The book of Revelation, if it's written sometime in the A.D. 90s, just before 100, we realize that for another 250 or so years, uh, even after this book is written, the church is going to be violently uh, persecuted by the Roman Empire. And, and so we realize that it's a hard time and things are going to get worse before they get better. But ultimately, Jesus will bring his victory uh, to bear. And that is the promise. And we see that exact thing happening, but not until the 300s. And so they still have a long way to wait. Again, remember, it is a literary form. This is a literary form, apocalyptic. Uh, you have to keep that in mind. You don't read it uh, like, like you would read the Gospel of Mark or like you would read Paul's letter to the Colossians. Uh, it's a different style of literature. And if you see that going in, then you're much better off. And so let's get into it. Chapter 1 continues with this incredible vision 
of Jesus. And then he says, I want you to write uh, this message to the churches. And so that begins in chapter two. And in chapters two and three, he, he instructs John what to say to each of these seven churches. There's a, a, a some of them, most of them have some good and some bad. Uh, a, a couple of them have uh, some good and nothing bad. A couple of them have some bad and nothing good. Um, and we begin with the church at Ephesus at the beginning of chapter two. And this gives you a little bit of a hint as to how this is done. In chapter two, verse one, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Throughout this section, it goes back to chapter one and that vision of Jesus. And he says something about that every time. And another thing that he says is, I know, I know this about you. I know this about what you've been through. I know this about what's ahead for you. There's this great and wonderful comforting feeling in realizing that God knows, that God sees and he knows. Whatever your situation, uh, he understands and he sees and he knows. Verse 2 of uh, Revelation 2, I know your deeds your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Those are all wonderful things Jesus says about the church at Ephesus. Verse four, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have lost your first love. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. After giving them the good news and the bad news, or just one or the other, uh, Jesus then shares uh, something like what we read in verse 7. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. A great allusion, not just to Genesis, but to that city that's going to come down out of heaven at the end of Revelation. Well, he continues on and speaks to all of these churches. The church at Smyrna uh, that has a lot of things that are said about it. Uh, you're, you have the reputation of being poor and yet you are rich. He doesn't have anything bad. Uh, to say about them, and contrast that with the church at Laodicea in chapter 3. This church that appears to be wealthy and rich and well-off and doing great, and yet inside they are dead. It's interesting how he does that. You look at the church at Sardis in chapter 3, and Sardis is told to wake up. You have a reputation of being alive, yet you are dead, and he calls on them to wake up. Um, all of the letters to those seven churches, uh, starting in Ephesus and going through chapters two and three, even to Laodicea, uh, are very important messages to the church even today as well. That gets us to chapters four and five, and chapters four and five are, are marvelous scenes of worship. Uh, in chapter four, at the very throne of God, we get that wonderful song we sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is 
to come. We read that in Revelation chapter 4. We see this incredible vision. We gather around the throne with the elders and with the angels and with the martyrs and with everybody else. And we sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I'm sure you're thinking of that great old hymn even now. Um, you are worthy, our Lord and God, verse 11, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. In chapter 5, uh, the message goes from the throne of God, the Father, to the Lamb that looks as if it had been slain, verse 6. Uh, this is a lamb that doesn't have the, the, the powerful, majestic, uh, strong uh, strength of, of uh, say, uh, um, a prince coming in on a, on a grand horse, stallion. No, this is a lamb that looks like it's been killed. And the reason it looks that way is because it has, has been killed. And yet it's very much alive. This is the lamb that will be victorious. This is the lamb that is worthy. We sing several songs, worthy is the lamb. Uh, worthy art thou. There is much of that here in Revelation chapter 4. Uh, you are worthy, verse 9, to take the scroll, to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests or uh, royal priests or priestly kings. Uh, to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked, verse 11 of chapter 5, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. It's a great scene of worship at this, as this vision uh, begins. And so then we go into those middle chapters that are that are so symbolic, so confusing. But again, their message is good over evil. Their message is Christ over Satan. Their message is the lamb victorious over uh, the dragon. But it's not just Jesus that is victorious. It's his people. It's his followers. It's his people who are being persecuted. And they are seen as the ultimate victors throughout everything that we have ahead. We read about trumpets and seals, uh, not the kind that go, but a seal that is something that is sealed. And a woe, we read about those woes uh, throughout this section. And basically the message here is God's purposes will ultimately be done. Uh, he will use forces of good and evil, the persecuted, the martyrs, the nations, even the Roman Empire. But that will be the case again throughout human history. God uses everybody and everything to accomplish his will. Just like when Moses faced Pharaoh, Moses was used for good. Pharaoh, because his heart was hard and he refused to submit to God, that doesn't mean that God didn't still use him. Oh, he used him all right. He used him to display his glory to all the world and to all of us ever since of the power 
and the love and the majesty of God. Um, Satan is introduced to us as the dragon in chapter 12, verse 9, specifically stated. We're introduced to a beast that comes out of the sea and another beast that comes out of the earth. And again, these are symbolic. I think they're symbolic of powers of evil in every generation. For the people that, that John was writing to, they would immediately see the Roman Empire. And all of those, perhaps the emperor and the soldiers, all of those who would try to do the bidding of the empire. That seems to be what these beasts have in mind for them. Uh, in every generation, in every time period, you have political powers that are good and political powers that are evil. And you have those who try to uh, force others to comply and submit and uh, oppress other people in the name of that power. I think that's what this is talking about. Certainly, as John is writing to the people of his day, they would know in a second what he means because they were going through it and they would find great comfort. I think the message for us, again, is there's going to be good in the world and there's going to be evil in the world. That's true in every generation. It's always been the case since God created mankind. We see it in the Garden of Eden, and then we see it in all of those words of Genesis and throughout the rest of the Bible and through human history, and we see it today. There are still good and evil in the world. There are still good people and, and bad people. There are still those who are taken advantage of. There are still those who are the oppressors. And the message of the book of Revelation is God is saying to us through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, I know I know your difficulties. I know the good you've done. And I know the ones who are trying to hurt you and harm you. I know, and one day I will act and make it right. We may not even see it. Many of those that receive this word of revelation never saw that vindication. Uh, perhaps they had some relief in their own personal lives. But that vindication ultimately didn't come until the Roman Empire was finally destroyed from, from within. And the church that it had tried so hard to overpower and destroy is still living today, 2,000 years nearly after these words are written. It's just an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, there's a prostitute. There's, uh, again, representing uh, evil. There's a city. Uh, it's called Babylon sometimes. It could be Rome. It could be whatever the powers are. Uh, there are days and months and years that are given, 1,260 days, 42 months, three and a half years, all about the same length of time. Uh, there's 144,000 mentioned. Again, numbers are symbolic in Revelation. What does 144,000 mean? Well, it means that it's a lot, but it also means that it's not everybody. Those who would be saved, those who are faithful, those who fall down and worship before the Lamb, it doesn't mean that once God gets to 144,000, nobody else gets in. It's a symbolic number. It's apocalyptic. It's saying, yes, there's going to be a lot, but not everybody. In fact, not even the majority. And we remember that Jesus himself said uh, when he was alive that not everybody's going to be saved. In fact, most people are going to be going down that wide road that leads to destruction. But he calls on us to go and down the narrow path that leads to righteousness, that leads to life. There's going to be a, a long period of intense persecution, John writes, and Jesus tells him. And um, 
He doesn't tell us how long that will be. He just says it's going to be a while. So buckle up. In chapter 20, we finally get to chapter 20 where Satan is defeated, and um, but not without a fight. Again, Satan goes down swinging, but he goes down. And, and I think that's the message. The message is, yes, evil seems like at times that it's winning. There are many of the Psalms, and you remember this, there are many of the Psalms that the writer says, I, I don't get it. <laughs> I, I don't get why there are righteous people that are suffering and wicked people that just seem to go on scot-free. They live long in their lives and, and they die in their bed with their family around them of old age. I don't understand that. Job asked that question. Many of the psalmists asked that question. And there's no good answer for it. Uh, all we can say is, well, God allows evil people to uh, proceed for a while. But the promise of, of the scripture is that will not be the case forever. And God will make it right and the righteous will be vindicated. Remember, Jesus wasn't vindicated until after he was killed. Those legions of angels didn't come down to save him. One word from him and they would have. But because of his love, because of his will, his purpose, his mission, it was not to be. And so we take great heart in that. Uh, for those who have lost loved ones, um, we realize that Jesus lost his friend. And even though he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, seeing Mary and Martha and how much it hurt them to lose their brother, Jesus wept. John 11 tells us the shortest but one of the most powerful verses of Scripture in the Bible. For God so loved the world, John 3.16 says, that he gave. He gave his one and only son. The Lord God knows what it's like uh, when we are suffering. Uh, and Jesus is the great uh, demonstration of that. God didn't send Jesus so that we would know or so that he would know how we feel. He sent us Jesus so that we would understand that he gets us, that he knows, that he's experienced all of these. The great book of Hebrews that we just read through on Tuesday, the great book of Hebrews says, we have someone who understands us, who knows us, who is tempted in every way just like we are yet never sinned, who experienced not just life but suffering and death. He is our great high priest. In Hebrews, he is demonstrated to be the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, in Revelation, he is the lamb who has been slain and yet is not only alive, but is victorious. Um, that thousand years, again, numbers are symbolic. Times are symbolic in Revelation. Uh, there, that thousand year reign, a lot of people wonder about that. Scripture is pretty clear that when Jesus comes, it will be sudden. It'll be a surprise. People will not be expecting it. And he will come and that will be that. That will be that. There will be judgment, and then there will be, uh, for the faithful, we will be gathered around that throne for eternity, uh, joining with the elders and the angels and uh, all of the faithful, the martyrs, all of those in praising our great God for eternity. Uh, how long will that last? Well, I don't know. Uh, don't know. Not a thousand years, <laughs> exactly. Not literally. It's not literally a thousand years. And you can put charts on the wall, but really, again, I think this is saying, look, in every time period in human history, there's going to be a time when the bad guys seem to be winning. And sometimes it's going to be extended. But we 
take heart from the book of Revelation that ultimately we win. Ultimately, good triumphs over evil. Um, after, the, uh, after the victory, uh, there will be a, a great, wonderful blessing. Well, and that blessing is described in chapters 21 and 22. Uh, love these words. We have some great heaven songs taken from some of these scriptures. Uh, in chapter 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Again, symbolic. Scripture is clear in saying that everything physical is going to be destroyed. Second Peter 3, we just read that not very long ago. Uh, that says the elements will melt with a fervent heat, and they will be no more. And so this describes that place where it's not physical. That place where, just like God is spirit, our spirits will reign forever as well. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things, the physical order of things, the imperfect order of things has passed away. Verse 5, he, was, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Just like it started, that's how Revelation ends. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life, just as Jesus had promised. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And that's what we had read about in the earlier chapters. That's what we find uh, Satan and the two beasts are cast into, the fiery lake that is um, uh, the second death. That's where those who are evil will be destroyed and will face that uh, punishment. But those who are faithful, those who have trusted in God, will be with the Lord forever. Uh, we read about that continuing on in chapter 22 uh, as he talks about this great uh, river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month. Again, symbolism, just talking about how God is going to be there. It's life over death. It's going to be joy over pain. Every tear will be wiped away. Uh, there will be no more death, no more mourning, because all of those older things have passed away. And so let's read uh, the end of the book of Revelation, the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 12. Jesus says in verse 12, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. It matters how we live. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. 
outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The great passage. Verse 17 of chapter 22. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who washes, who wishes, take the free gift of the water of life. Free to us. It's already been paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes away words from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. How serious should we take this book, this message, the inspired and authoritative word of God? It is the only place we can find that. And that's how we need to live. That's what we need to live by. The words in the Bible matter. Our lives matter. Yes, we're saved by grace through the response of faith. That's clear. There's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it. And we will never be perfect enough to do that. And so we accept that salvation by grace through the response of faith, believing in Christ and in his sacrifice repenting of our lives, changing our direction to be more like what Jesus wants us to be, confessing that that's what we believe and that's where our lives are headed, and then being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can be raised to live a new life. And what John is talking about here is that new life. Let's live according to the teaching and the words of this book, the Bible, the inspired word of God. We won't do it perfectly but we can do it faithfully, and we can seek to, as Peter says in 2 Peter 3, verse 18, we can seek to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The revelation ends with these great words in chapter 22, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Can you pray that prayer today? Come, Lord Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus came before this lesson is over in the next few minutes? Wouldn't it be great if Jesus came before we get into 2023 at midnight Saturday night? That would be a great blessing. If that's not something that you anticipate, that you look forward to, that you can joyfully pray this prayer, come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha is how that is said in the original. Come, Lord Jesus. If you can't say that today, then I beg you, change what is wrong in your life that's contrary to the word of God and accept his salvation. Accept this great victory that we have in Jesus Christ because that's the only place that you can get it. Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Before we close today, I want to remind us that God is aware of our suffering. I know. I know what you're going through. Jesus says time and again to us throughout the pages of this book. God works in our lives and in the lives of the nations of the world. We see that even still today and we trust him. 
even when we don't understand him, just like Habakkuk had trouble believing God was using the Babylonians, he learned to trust God. My righteous one will live by faith. God told him, and he tells us that day that same thing. The lamb understands. He too has suffered, and he has overcome. And the outcome is assured. We win. We win because Jesus wins. In the world you'll have trouble, he said in John 16, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so we can endure the difficult times. And we can rest assured that God is in control, that he sees and that he knows that there's nothing that happens that surprises him. But there are some things that happen that saddens him, I know, and disappoint him. But ultimately, he makes everything right. The book of Revelation, as does all true apocalyptic literature, arises out of a period of intense pressure and persecution upon the people of God. It's a great book to read when you're suffering, when you're going through difficulties. The one imminent event which John expects is persecution. And that's what we read about in Revelation. And when we look at church history, again, we see that continuing on until the time of Constantine in the fourth century, hundreds of years after this is written. There is a vivid apprehension of the presence of God. The lamb will ultimately overthrow the monster, the dragon, and this is the relevance of apocalyptic literature and specifically Revelation today. Uh, one writer insists that Revelation causes us to see through the historical clash of the church versus Rome to the real engagement between good and evil. And I think that's it. That's the application that we see going on even still today. Thus, in every conflict of life, the teenager at school, the worker on the job, the mother in the home, when the Christian is put to the test, in all the fears and anxieties that we see in our world even today, Revelation acknowledges the difficulty of the situation and gives assurance of ultimate deliverance, vindication, and victory. Why? Because the tomb is empty. As dark as things looked when Jesus was killed on that cross that day, the tomb is now empty. He has overcome. We win. No church, after reading the book of Revelation, could be surprised when it meets stern opposition to its ministry. It's assured there. Nor should it despair through its sufferings, for the end of the story is the descent of the city of God from heaven to earth in those last two chapters. Revelation uh, acknowledges the work of God in Christ and applies it to every age where difficult situations exist, including ours, including yours. Faith, therefore, may look with confidence to God for the completion of that work of grace which God has begun in Christ and which is the main spring of the Christian's life in the present. The Christian of the 21st century, like their predecessors in the first, may and should live in the expectation and hope of the triumph of Christ's kingdom. O oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. We win. We win. Let's close this study this year with prayer, and I'll see you on Tuesday. Dear God, thank you for this great victory in Jesus. Father, thank you for the fact that you know and you see. And Father, I pray diligently for all of those who are suffering, who are hurt, suffering hurts of all kinds, 
And I pray, Father, that you would bring comfort and that you would bring faith and courage and perseverance. And Father, we do pray today that you would bring vindication and deliverance. And Father, we also pray today this prayer, come, Lord Jesus, send your son, take us to be with you around that throne forever. We look forward to it, Father. But in the meantime, to live is Christ, your apostle Paul said. To die is gain, and so as long as that gain is put off, we pray, Father, that we will live in this life victoriously, that we will live lives of hope and peace and even joy, even in the midst of difficulty. For we know, Father, that you have overcome the world. We know, Father, that the dragon has been destroyed by the Lamb. We know, Father, that there is victory in Jesus. We know, Father, that we win. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful New Year's weekend, and I will see you on Tuesday. God bless.